looking at our, our series in spiritual gifts and, and kind of wrapping it up this week, I thought this is a, an appropriate weekend, kind of end the, uh, the series on, on spiritual gifts as we look at, at Memorial Day, honoring those uh, who have served. And, uh, and I'm getting reminded, I have not released the Kids for Kids Connection yet, so uh, the kids can be released at this time uh, for Kids Connection. As, uh, as we look at the, the service, or the, the, um, the subject of spiritual gifts, and the idea of being called by God into his service, that uh, we, we serve in the footsteps uh, of Jesus who, who gave his life ultimately as a sacrifice, poured out his life for us. And so now, because Jesus died and rose again, he has now distributed gifts uh, to those of us who are his people, that through us, his work would continue in the church. And so we've been, been looking at the spiritual gifts as these spirit-empowered abilities that are the evidence that Jesus has ascended uh, to heaven, the evidence that, that Jesus is supreme, he's reigning as king, is put on display through the spiritual gifts that have been given to his people, the church. And as, as we wrap this up today, that, that Today would be a, a great time for us to look at the life of another person that God called into his service and look at the experience of the call of Moses. And so I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can grab a Bible out of the, the chairs in front of you and you could follow along with us on page 46. Page 46 in those Bibles, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them out of the land, that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Would you please join me in, in prayer? Heavenly Father, as you spoke your word to Moses, may you speak your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Israelites have been in slavery for a long time. Over 400 years at this point. If you think back 400 years ago, 400 years ago, there was no United States of America. George Washington wouldn't be born for another 115 years. The Mayflower had not yet set sail across the Atlantic. It's a long time. A long history of generation after generation of slavery. Moses was a long way from the power center of Egypt. On the the western slopes of Mount Horeb, taking care of sheep. He didn't even have much power or influence in himself because he's not even taking care of his own sheep. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And it was at this moment, at this place, that God appeared. Moses out among the sheep, watching over them when out of the corner of his eye, he sees a bush that's on fire. Now, what's intriguing about this bush that's on fire is that it's not burning up. It's, it's engulfed in flames, and yet it's not being consumed. And so Moses comes closer to figure out what what is this that's going on? Why is this bush on fire and not burning up when all of a sudden something even more surprising happens? There's a voice speaking to him from the bush. And not just any voice, it's the voice of God. Now this is the first time anywhere in scripture where we see a piece of ground called holy. God says, Moses, the ground you are on is holy ground. Take off your sandals. That God has uniquely shown up in this place at this time. He wants to show Moses the grandeur of his holiness. He wants to show him his incredible power, his majesty. And he's also come to Moses to demonstrate his great compassion. That this grand announcement, this grand display of God's holiness is to announce that God has heard the cry of his people. That God wants to demonstrate his great love in rescuing his people out of the land, out of the hand of the oppression of Egypt. That what we have here in five verses, compactly, the holiness and majesty and compassion of God. God says, here's who I am. Here's what I am going to do. Moses, come along. And then what we have is 29 verses of Moses giving excuses. But isn't that typical of us? God is simple. We're the ones who are complicated. God has given each one of you a spiritual gift that he intends to use to strengthen the church. Five verse simple. But what are we? We are 29 verse excuse makers. 
we're just like Moses. That we resist experiencing the power of God in our lives. And so what I want us to do is I want us to enter into this story with Moses and hear his excuses. Because I'm I'm willing to bet that as we hear Moses' excuses to God, we're going to find that these are excuses that we have made to God ourselves. But here's what I want you to experience this morning. I don't want you just to, to, to find where's your own excuse. I want you to meet God's call on your life. I want you to hear the call of God that blows up the excuses that Moses gives, the excuses that we want to give to God. You know, the, you would think that standing here uh, in front of a burning bush, the, the, the holiest place on the face of the earth where God's intense majesty is, is being shown would, would just shut your mouth. But Moses, he's got excuses. And the first excuse he gives is the identity excuse. The identity excuse. I think this is probably one of the first excuses that, that we're prone to give as well. Look with me at, at chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, you've got the wrong person. God, God, do you remember who it is you're talking to? I tried this once before. See, Moses had had tried to, to rise up and be the deliverer of the Israelites at one other point. That he had, had gone out among the people one day and he had seen a, an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. And so he responded by killing the Egyptian. This, this act of power and strength, I am the great deliverer Moses. But what ended up happening is that the Israelites turned on him. When two Israelites were, uh, <coughs> were fighting amongst each other, Moses comes in to try to break up the fight. And one of them says, what, are you going to kill me too? And Moses realizes that what he had done uh, was not a secret. It was known. He ends up having to flee Egypt. That's why he's in the desert. It's because he had tried and he'd failed. It's been 40 years. Moses is now an old man. He's 80 years old. God, you got the wrong guy. Revolutions, that's a young man's game. That is not for me. And, and what one of us hasn't found ourselves in that place? God, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But he does. God knows exactly who he's come to. God knows exactly who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. And God has come to you to gift you that you might know his power and presence in your life. You see, look what God says to Moses. Look with me at verse 12. He said, but I will be with you And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
See, the Lord is saying it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters that I'm with you. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, you remember what he said? Go and make disciples of all nations. And, and what are those last words of verse 20? Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The last verse in this chapter of your life is not you. Verse 20 in your life is God is with you. I am with you always, says Jesus. You don't need to give the identity excuse. But Moses. Moses has another excuse. Moses' next excuse is the knowledge excuse. The knowledge excuse. Look at me at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? See, in essence, Moses is saying to God, God, I, I can't serve you. I don't really know enough. I don't know enough about you to serve you. He's envisioning that he goes to the Israelites and, and they're, they're now asking him, well, well, you're back, Moses, but, but who are you? What, what message are you bringing? Who sent you? Then Moses is saying, I, 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 I don't have an answer. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke said there were two different ways that, that people would ask for the identity of, of somebody in the ancient Hebrew language. The, the first way would be to say, um, who is your name? If they say, who is your name? They're simply looking for a name. Adam, Noah, Abraham. If, if this had been the question, then God simply would have said, I am. And that would have been the end. But notice there, there's another way of, of saying it. It's what is your name? When somebody asks the question, what is your name? What they're wanting to know is, is, what's the meaning of your name? What's your story? Who are you, really? And so, notice that that's exactly what, what Moses is saying. What is your name? That, that when the, the Israelites, they say, okay, we know that, uh, that there's a God, but in light of this suffering that we're going through, what is this God? What is this God that sees our suffering? And so notice with me what the Lord says, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God reveals his name in a sentence. I am who I am. The, the, what God is, is saying here is that Everything that I am, I am for you. I am so sublime in my character 
There is no variation. There is nothing that changes. You can depend upon me. And when he says that this is how he is to be remembered, God isn't simply saying, this is my name, don't forget it. Because the Hebrew word remember is also translated invoke or to call upon. What God is saying is that I want you to know that that you can call on me. You can count on me. Psalm 50, verse 15. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The Lord is saying to Moses, when I say I am who I am, I am saying, Moses, you can count on me. It's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. There was a man who had been born blind. And Jesus opened up his eyes to see. And the religious leaders call him uh, to account. And they say, say, tell us, who is it that opened your eyes? This man, we know he's a sinner. And the, the blind man, the man who had been formerly blind, what did he say to these religious leaders? Here, here's a man outclassed in knowledge, outclassed in religious uh, experience. And he just says, Whether this man's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know. Once I was blind, now I see. It's it's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. God may be calling you in your life to come alongside someone who's struggling. It could be a neighbor who is uh, dealing with just a, a very intense illness, a cancer, or, or some other undiagnosed disease, and they're searching for answers. It could be a coworker whose spouse has walked out on the marriage. And the temptation is to, to pull back. I, what can I say? I, I don't know enough. Uh, I, I don't have enough information. I don't have enough knowledge. I, I don't have good answers. God is reminding you it's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. That God calls us into his service so that we would be able to experience his dependability in our lives. That that God is telling Moses, Moses, if you know me, you know enough. You don't have to use the knowledge excuse. But Moses. Moses has seen the presence of God in the bush. He is, he's heard the declaration of the, the dependability of God in, in who God is. But Moses has more excuses. He's at it again. Next he tries the rejection excuse. The rejection excuse. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now what does God do for Moses at this point? Moses is given three signs. 
God gives him the first sign. He says, take your staff and throw it down. He throws it down and it becomes a serpent. And then he picks, he grabs it and, and it becomes a staff again. And then God gives Moses another sign. He says, put your, your hand inside your cloak. And he puts his hand inside his cloak and he pulls it out and it's covered in leprosy. He puts it in the, the cloak again and, and pulls it out and it's instantly healed. God's trying to, to communicate with Moses two very important things. First of all, he wants him to know, Moses, you actually have everything that you need. Your staff, your body, that's all you need. I can show my power and through everything that you have right now. But there's also something else that God wants to show Moses. Listen to verses 8 and 9. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first, ver- first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God wants Moses to understand, you do the signs, but leave the believing up to me. When God gives Moses these signs, he doesn't promise him that they're actually going to believe what, what he says. He just says, do the signs. I'll take care of the believing part. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Moses, I'm the one who changes hearts. You just follow my instructions. Moses, I'm the one who changes hearts. Just let my power work through what you already have. When God calls you to serve him, What God is doing is he is inviting you to let him show his power through what he's given you. You don't need to use the rejection excuse. But Moses, you'd think there's the display of the majesty of God in the fire. There's the power of God in the signs. There's the promise of God in his presence. Isn't that enough, Moses? But Moses still has more excuses to make. But Moses is just like us. Or we're just like Moses. There's always one more excuse. And so next, Moses tries the competence excuse. The competence excuse. Chapter 4, verse 10 But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses trots out the competence excuse. God, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not competent. I don't have the skills. I'm not able to go speak to Pharaoh. It's kind of funny uh, that What has just happened is God told Moses, Moses, I don't change. You can depend on me. 
And Moses is saying, yeah, God, I know you don't change. Neither do I. I wasn't a good speaker before. I'm not a good speaker now. God, I don't change. This, if, if the staff that becomes the snake is emblematic of how God sends his spirit to fill the abilities we have, then what we see right here is what happens when we see a need that we aren't equipped for. God has promised his power to work through us in whatever he calls us to do. And yet, when there is a need that, that comes up that we feel is like, I, okay, I'm not gifted at that. I'm not competent in that. That must not be what God is calling me to do. And we shrink back. But notice how, how God responds to Moses. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This is what God's doing here. He says, God is saying, the fact that you can speak means that I have given you an ability. If, the God, if God can, can make people mute and make people deaf and make people blind, the fact that you can speak, Moses, means that your excuse is completely irrelevant. Moses, who made you? God is saying to Moses, if you're coming to me saying you're not competent, then you have forgotten who you belong to. I'll tell you that there is going to be far more needs in the kingdom of God than there's going to be people that are gifted to fill those needs. There is far more need for evangelism than there are people who are gifted as evangelists. There's a far greater need for discipleship than there are people who are gifted in teaching. To bring it like really close to home, there's a far greater need in children's ministry in the nursery than there are people who are gifted with children and babies. What matters is not our strength. It's God's strength. It doesn't matter what you're made of. What matters is who made you. And that's the message that God is sending to Moses. Moses, if I am with you, I am surely in your mouth. If, I, if my word is calling you here, then my word will be in your mouth when you need it. Paul understood this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, he writes, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. What matters is not your mouth, but the word God puts in your mouth. What matters is that you make yourself available for God and let him fill you. See, when God calls us into his service, he is not calling us because we are competent. He calls us to make us competent. God does not call us because we are strong. God calls us to show his strength. There's no need to use the competence excuse. But Moses, 
You know, he's, he's played all his cards. He's got nothing left. You would think at this point that Moses would finally admit to the confidence that he could find in God, and yet instead we meet resistance. Now, how, how wonderful it is that Jesus is greater than Moses, who prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And Moses is not done exerting his will. He's got one more try. I call this the final straw excuse. Moses gives one last plea, chapter 4, verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. That's it. When you're out of excuses, when you realize that, that God uh, has no more reason uh, to not use you, it's like, well, God, just, just send somebody else. That God has promised Moses his presence. That God has promised Moses his power. That, that God has, has promised Moses that he is, is going to give him everything that he needs. And now Moses is simply piling up unbelief. And so it's no surprise, verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God doesn't like to be doubted. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't call people to use them and miss his own, his own understanding. God doesn't call you to have you hand the phone off to someone else. So God's anger is kindled against Moses. This is a serious moment here in the story. Because when you look through the Old Testament and you see other places where the Lord's anger is kindled, his judgment falls. People die. And yet something very surprising happens. The fire in the bush does not consume Moses. The anger of the Lord at Moses' doubting does not pour out wrath on Moses. Why? It's not because Moses is a great guy. It's not because Moses has finally figured it out. Moses is a self-proclaimed weak man. Moses is a man that is full of doubt. And yet, he's not consumed here. What is it that happens that, that causes God's anger to, to be withheld? I think the clue is the next words God says. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Moses and Aaron are brothers. They both come from the tribe of Levi. So why is God saying to, to Moses, Aaron the Levite? I think it's because we're getting a hint of something that's coming in the story. That as the children of Israel are walking through the wilderness and they camp around the tabernacle. It's the Levites that stand between them and God. 
that go before God and offer the sacrifices for the people so that the wrath of God does not fall on the people, that they do not experience his judgment. It's because of the Levites. And here, it's because of the Levite Aaron, who stands in the place of Moses so that Moses is spared the wrath of God. And this is what transforms Moses. It's what transforms us because we have a greater priest than Aaron. We have Jesus, who is our great high priest, who has stood in the place of all of our excuses, who has let the wrath of God fall upon him. And now, now, today, stands in our place as our great high priest that we would be able to now fulfill the call of God. The call of God is not fulfilled by us stopping our excuses. The call of God is filled by the presence of Jesus Christ standing in our place, that we might experience the power and presence of God working through us. You want to see here in this story where the, the transformation happens in Moses. It happens in verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Moses' staff is now the staff of God. This is the symbol that God is now in charge of Moses, that it's not Moses' staff anymore, it's God's staff. That God wants to transform your stuff into his stuff. That the stuff of you would become the stuff of God. That God has called you into his service. That his power and his presence would be displayed in your life. God has come to undo all of your excuses. God has sent his son, your older brother Jesus, to stand in your place. That the call of God would be accomplished in your life. And that is the true gift of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you on behalf of my brothers and sisters here this morning, my, my friends here at EMB, and I ask that you would fill us with the power of your Spirit, that our mouths would be shut to our excuses and opened to you working through us, filling us. God, I, I thank you that it's not about us, it's about, it's about you, and may you be on display in our lives. In Jesus' name.